Today we're in um, the last part of chapter 3, but we're actually going to take three weeks to finish it because it's all about prayer. And it's a great transition to wrap up the first three chapters, which have, have um, just illuminated some very profound theological truths. It's like the Pike's Peak of, of doctrine. There's some huge mountains that Paul has been laying up before. It's what God has done for us in Christ, and these huge truths. And it can't help but drive a person to pray, to thank God for what he's done, but also to thank him for what he wants to do in our lives. And so it becomes sort of a bridge between um, beliefs, what we believe about God and what God's up to in the world, and behavior, what we're to do with our daily lives. Prayer always is a great bridge between the two of knowing because I believe this, I'm praying that God will do this in my life. And so we're going to spend a few weeks just looking at this uh, incredible prayer that the Apostle Paul gives. Every time I read about prayer, every time I preach about prayer, I learn more things. And it's not like prayer's new to me. I mean, I, I pray every Thursday morning with the group here at the church. I, I promote prayer with our staff. I, I pray it on my own. And, but I always learn more things about prayer. I always learn how I can pray better, how I can pray more effectively, because I want my prayers to make an impact, and I believe that you do too. But some of you need to be reminded of why we even should pray, a reason to pray. And I believe today that there are some very powerful reasons that Paul presents to us in this scripture that will motivate you and me to pray. So we're in Ephesians chapter 3. Sam did a great job of bringing us up to verse 14, which is where I want to pick us up today. Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Once again, Paul does these long sentences. (laughs) Once he gets going, he just can't stop. And it's a very powerful, powerful prayer in what he says, not only about prayer, but actually what he prays for. So we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at this. But here's what I want to point out today. That prayer is a physical way to engage in a highly spiritual work, a highly physical way to engage in a highly spiritual work. It involves both body and spirit. We may think that prayer is just a mental exercise. Like I think about prayer and I pray in my head to God. But if you read through the prayers of the Bible, the men and women who prayed and broke through, you will find that their body engaged with their heart. It wasn't just something they thought about. They, they engaged physically in prayer. And we find that in our lives, when something is very meaningful to us, our body starts to engage in the words. I mean, if, if, if you're excited about something, the hands start to, you know, get engaged. When, when a man loves a woman, wants to propose to her, what does he do? He gets down on his knee and he speaks to her because that speaks something to her of, of, his, of his request on behalf of her. Our bodies get involved in what we're praying. And I want to encourage you. For many of you, your prayer life is just a mental thing. You just think about your prayers. I want to encourage you today, engage. Engage the body with the spirit in your prayers. And that's what Paul does here. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, if we go back to chapter 3, verse 1, he, he also says that very similar thing, for this reason. It's like Paul was getting ready to say this. He said, for this reason, and then he goes off on this diversion. 
it, it, he, he went off on this thing that, that both Sam and I talked about for the last couple of weeks of this mystery that God has now fully revealed, the mystery of the gospel, which is this. By the way, a mystery is not something that's mysterious as much as it was, in, it was revealed in part, but now it's been revealed in whole, its entirety. Here's the mystery. That God was reconciling Jews and Gentiles together in one family, in one body, under the banner of faith in Christ. Because Jesus, through his death on the cross, removed the division, the wall of hostility that separated us from each other and separated us from God. It's all been obliterated through Christ. Now we can come together. In fact, he ends the, um, that first section there, this diversion, by saying, and now we have confidence with boldness to access this place through faith. We can come before God, which, which I believe is, is the first reason that Paul says he has a reason to kneel. Prayer enables us to enter God's presence. He is a father. Remember Jesus in the Lord's Prayer? He taught us to pray, saying, our what? Father. Our father. Meaning he's approachable. He's like a dad. You can come to him like a child coming to a father. You're not coming to a judge. You're not, you're not coming to a king. You're com- you are coming to a king, but he's your father. So you come to him recognizing the fact that the door's been opened. There's a love there. There's, a, there's intimacy that's available. He says that the door has been opened, in a sense, to come in to God's presence in a greater way. You don't get there automatically. Intimacy is not, is not just a byproduct of accepting Christ. It makes possible intimacy. Just like a wedding does not make intimacy in marriage a reality. Intimacy must be pursued. But a marriage opens the door wide to say, now we can get to know each other at every level in a deeper way. So God opens the door through Christ and says, come in, enter into this place. You can come in with boldness. You can come in with confidence through faith. It's open to you. And the only difference between Paul and you and me And Paul seems to have this really intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The only difference is he accessed the entrance more than you and I do. He went into that place of prayer, humbly before the Lord, more than you and I do. It's not that Paul was just a special kind of Christian. Every one of us is invited to enter into his presence in a deeper way. James 4, verse 8. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Notice what happens first. God's already opened the door. says, draw near to me, and here's what I'll do. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. See, God, God doesn't drag us through the door. He doesn't pull us in and force us to be intimate, but he says, I've opened the door. Come in, and if you come in, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I will expose my heart to you. I will open up to you. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Are you drawing near to God? Prayer. It's the primary way we do that. We enter into his presence. We humbly look to him. You and I get to determine how close we want to be with the Lord. And when you recognize whose presence you're coming into, you can't help but react physically. That's why Paul says, for this reason, I kneel. I kneel before the Father. His body is engaging in this prayer. For this reason. What reason? I get to be in the presence of God. This undeserving sinner gets to be in the presence of God. I'm I'm humbled. Now, we don't have to be frightened like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. When the scarecrow comes before the great Oz, you know, his knees are shaking, his voice is quivering, and he just falls on the ground. It's not that kind. God doesn't want us to be afraid when we come into his presence. 
nor does he want us to come with, with sort of a buddy-buddy a casualness, like, hey, what's up, God? You know, it's not that either. Paul exhibits this kind of comfortableness yet reverence. This comfortableness, like, I, I know I can come. I know it's safe to come into God's presence, but I don't take it lightly. I recognize whose presence I'm in. He's not my equal. He's my superior, and I recognize that. And so his posture says that very thing. I'm, I'm getting on my knees because you are above me. Posture says a lot in prayer. How you physically engage in prayer says a lot about what you think about God, what you think about prayer. So you will find in Scripture people uh, exhibiting all kinds of physical expressions when they pray. Sometimes they kneel. We find Solomon kneeling in the temple when he, when he dedicated the temple. We find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees. We find Paul with the elders from Ephesus on the beach in Miletus. And there's a prayer that they offer on the beach and they're crying, but they're on their knees praying together. There are times when it's very appropriate that you get on your knees in prayer. When you're broken, when you're overwhelmed, when you're humbled. It says, it says what's going on in the heart. But there are other expressions the scriptures give too. Raising hands. Bowing. Laying prostrate. When Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and saw the people worshiping the golden calf, he threw the, he threw the tablets down. And he went right back up on the mountain. It said he lay prostrate for 40 days, crying out to God on behalf of his people that God wouldn't destroy them. It wasn't just enough to think in his head, I think I need to pray. It was, no, I'm going to plead before the Lord, and I need to humble myself. And the humblest place I can go isn't just to bow my head or to kneel. It's to lay with my face to the ground. His body was praying. I just wonder sometimes if you couldn't talk and all you had was your body, how would you pray? What would your body do? Because we do that in moments when we're very excited, when we're very desperate, the body starts to get involved. We wave our hands. Uh, we, we do gestures. We get involved because the body can't contain what's going on in the heart. I'm just asking, in your prayer life, does your body communicate what's going on inside the heart? Paul says, for this reason, I kneel. The 1940s, J. Edwin Orr, who was a professor at Wheaton College, took a group of students to England to a place where there was a museum that honored John Wesley. John Wesley, if you don't know, was a man who was very significant in, in England, preaching everywhere, leading many to Christ, discipling people. Discipleship was his big thing. And because of his methods of discipleship, the Methodist church was formed. Not that he formed it, but they formed it on the basis of John Wesley's teachings and his practices. And so in this place that was the home of John Wesley, they, they walked and they got to see various rooms. One of the rooms was believed to be his, his bedroom. On the floor, there's, there's two indentations in the wood. And they believe that's where he knelt on a daily basis to pray. I don't know about you, but I don't have dented floors for my kneeling. I don't have worn out carpet. But can you imagine someone who's so regular in their prayer that they wear out the wood underneath them? Well, they, they went back out to the car and recognized that one of the students was missing. So Orr went back in to find a student in that bedroom on his knees before the Lord, crying out in prayer, do it again, Lord, do it again. And that man was a young student named Billy Graham. 
God listens to the prayers of those who are sincere and humble. And there's a power when we engage our bodies with our hearts and minds. We are to love the, God, love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. That's the body, physical strength. You'll notice that there's one, one physical posture you'll never see anybody ever praying in, in Scripture. It's the posture of slouching. Nobody slouches in prayer. Because the postures that they give are postures that show attentiveness. Attentiveness. Personally, I'll just share with you. If I, if I kneel, for times when I kneel in prayer at home, it's in, usually because of humility. It's usually in humility. And I can focus when I'm in, on my knees in prayer. Sometimes in, in prayer or worship, I'll raise a hand. I do that to say, almost like I agree. I declare. I hold this to be true. Sometimes my hands are lifted like this, and it could mean a couple different things when I raise my hands. One, it could be that, that God, um, I release everything to you. I release this to you. Take it. Take this stuff in my life, the worries, the fears, the sin. Take it all. I give it to you. Sometimes, though, it's the other way. It's I'm open to receive from you. Or maybe it's like this. I, I need you to fill me, Lord. How do you engage the body with the heart. You want the two to sync up together. You don't want to just do a ritual. I always wonder when a baseball player steps out to the plate and he does the, the, the cross, kind of a little prayer before he stepped to the plate. Is it, is, it, is it a good luck charm or is it a sincere prayer? Are you worshiping the Lord for his death on the cross for you at that moment? Or is it just a ritual that I go through along with spitting, kicking the dirt, tapping the bat on the edge of the plate? Is that my ritual? God's not impressed by rituals, but he is, he is touched when the body and heart join together in prayer. And so we want that to happen. And some of us, maybe like a golfer who has to adjust their swing a little bit to improve their game or, or a batter to choke up a little more on, the, on the, the bat, maybe some of us need to adjust our position a little bit. Maybe some of us need to bring those two together, body and soul together, in a better way to improve our prayer life. Because we want to come before God with confidence, yet humility. And we don't come before him because we deserve him to hear our prayers. It's not like we've done anything that merits God answering our prayers. We come because of what Christ has done. When I went down to Ecuador, I left last Sunday, and I had in my possession two uh, United Club Lounge passes that we get with our credit card, with Mileage Plus credit card, and they had an expiration date of January 31st. So I left on Sunday, and I figured, you know, we're flying into Houston. I've got three hours. I'll go into the club lounge. They've got free food there. If you've never been to lounge, they're, they're, they're wonderful. You've got food, coffee. There's TVs. Um, you can order drinks. There's all kinds of stuff that's in there. It's just comfortable. You've got Wi-Fi, cushy chairs. So I went in there, spent a couple hours just eating, relaxing, um, getting ready for our overnight flight to Ecuador. And on the way back, I was going to use my other pass, but here was the problem. We were leaving the night of the 31st, but arriving in Houston on February 1st. So we were arriving in Houston. We've been flying all night. I'm sitting in the very last row of the plane, which doesn't rec- so it doesn't recline. I'm right next to the bathroom. I'm trying to shift around. My neck hurts. I'm not able to sleep. It's a five-and-a-half-hour flight. We arrive early in the morning, and I've got this other card that's expired. So I decide I'm going to do my Luke reading. 
And I was a day behind, so I, let, I, I read the story in Luke about the centurion. If you followed, you remember this story. The centurion has a servant that's sick, and he knows that Jesus is a healer, so he sends his servants to go inquire of Jesus if he'll come and heal his servant. So they go, and they come to Jesus and says, hey, our centurion would like you to come. And he was so helpful to us that he, he deserves to have you come. Well, Jesus responds. He starts to come toward that man's house. But when he gets near, the centurion actually sends some other people to him to interrupt and say, hey, he doesn't want you to come to the house because he doesn't deserve to have you come to the house. So while the other people were saying, he deserves to have you come, the man himself says, no, I don't. I don't deserve to have you come. But I do know this about Jesus, he says. I know that you're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. I tell people to go and do such and such, they do it. All you have to do is say, be healed, and the servant will be healed. And you know what Jesus says? I've never seen such faith in all Israel. And at that moment, he, he said that his servant would be healed, and he was. And I pondered that story for a little bit and said, think about this centurion. He's not a Jewish man. He's Gentile. Doesn't go to church every Sunday. Probably has never read a Bible. Doesn't give to his church. Never shares his faith. I mean, what has this guy done to actually deserve that Jesus would even listen to his prayer except this one thing? He believes Jesus is able to do incredible things. That's that's the only thing we know about him that's virtuous. He believes Jesus is able to heal his servant. And he does. And Jesus says, that's the kind of faith I don't even see among my people who study the Bible, who go to church, who give, do all these things. They don't believe I'm able to do these things. But you do, and I like you. It heals the servant. So I started thinking about that, and I said, you know, Lord, I don't deserve to have you honor this card. It's expired. But you know what? You're able to get me in with this card. <laughs> You're that kind of God. You are. We're going to read in a couple, in a couple weeks this, the, end of the end of his prayer And now to him who is able to do immeasurably beyond all we ask or imagine. This is the God who is able. See, there's sometimes we have confidence because God has made a promise. And there's other times we have confidence, not because God has promised us, but because God is able. And so I said, God, uh, the worst case scenario is I don't get in. But you don't have if you don't ask. So I pray that you'd open up a door. I would love to ha- go have a nice warm breakfast. I'd love to have a comfortable place to see. I don't want to spend more money at Starbucks or some other place getting breakfast. So if you would choose to favor me, open a door for me to get into this place. And so 7.30 comes. The door's open to the United Club Lounge. I walk in and ask for my boarding pass and my, my, my um, coupon or my, my club lounge pass. I pass them over and I wait. And she goes, okay, this looks good. This looks good. Oh, we have a problem here. <laughs> This isn't going to work. Your card's expired. Now, in my head, I'm saying, I know that. (laughs) Duh. And then she pauses and says, tell you what, I'm going to (laughs) blink. And I got in. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, did I deserve that? No. No matter... That it didn't matter that I was tired or been up all night or gone to South America. None of that, none of that merited God doing anything for me. But, but, you know, we serve a God who's able to do beyond what we ask or imagine. Why not ask God to do what only he can do? The centurion blew Jesus away by that kind of faith. Maybe some of us are so boxed into what we think God is able to do when he's actually able to do so much more. For this reason... 
I kneel. Hebrews 4.16 reminds us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Pray with confidence. Here's another reason Paul, uh, Paul says he kneels before the Lord, because prayer opens us, um, or prayer helps us expand God's family. He told the Ephesian believers in the first chapter that they were adopted into this new family. That that was God's plan all along, to adopt them into his family. Then in chapter 2, he says that they've been placed in the family along with the believing Jews uh, in one household, God's very own family. And then he reiterates it at the start of chapter 3, that this was God's mystery being unveiled. So now he says, for this reason I kneel before who? The Father. The Father. And then he, he says, when he talks about the Father, he says, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, that's kind of an odd phrase. What does he mean by that? We don't name our families after God, so what, what does it actually mean? Every family in heaven and earth is, is named. Well, we know that every family has an origin with God, that God created Adam and Eve and all the families on the earth traced back to God. So in that sense, God yeah, has a right over every family, but not every family honors God. Not every family is godly. So what is Paul getting at? I actually favor a different translation of this verse The King James Version says this, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In whom the family, speaking of one family. And I believe this actually fits the context of what Paul is saying in in Ephesians. God has a family. And part of that family is in heaven. They've already died and gone beyond. And and the, the rest of the family is on earth. But none of the family is under the earth or in hell because God, those aren't God's children. God has a present family here on earth. He has a family that's already died and gone to heaven. But here's the thing about the family on earth. It's growing. Every time someone places faith in Jesus Christ, the family gets a little bit bigger. God continually is adopting people into this family. And so as Paul, as, as Paul is praying, I, I can't help but think, Paul is thinking of this family. First of all, I get to be part of this family. That's so humbling because of what I've done, how I treated God, how I treated his church and yet he accepts me and his family. That's enough to drive me to my knees. But, but even more than that, I've got, a, I've got a, more than a billion brothers and sisters. Not literally, but I've got a bunch of them. I've got a bunch of brothers and sisters in my faith. And they need my prayers. It's not just about me. I just don't pray about myself. I pray about the family of God. You know what's fun about going on mission trips? You get to see family that you never met before. I got to do that. I'll just show you a few pictures from the trip to Ecuador. This fall, we'll have some videos and some great stories of what God did um, in Ecuador. But here's a couple pictures of the kids. This is the, the man in the middle there holding that little boy. He's the pastor, and he teaches at this Christian school with great enthusiasm. And here's another picture of some of the kids listening as, as the gospel is being presented. This is a little girl after she got her shoebox and the, the joy that she has. There's that man again and his team of volunteers and school teachers that work with those kids. They're part of my family, and I got to meet them and, and see them at work, and it was, it was beautiful. And then this man here, um, his name's Jimmy, Jimmy Gavala. He's from India, but he actually lives in Phoenix. He's a pastor at a church. He was part of the team that traveled down to Ecuador, and I just had a great time getting to meet this man. He told me that several years ago, missionaries came to India and preached and his dad was saved. He said, if those missionaries had never come, he would never know the Lord. And now he's given his life in full-time ministry down at a church in Phoenix. These are all, this is all part of my family. I just got to meet them. Isn't it exciting to get to meet family members you never met before? You've got them all over the world. 
You really do. You just got to get to meet them. And when you meet them, realize, man, I got to be praying for them. It's not just about me and God. It's about the family. We've got to be mindful that there's a family that God is growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for the expansion of God's family, that God's family would grow bigger and bigger. There are people in your life, children, friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates that need to know the Lord. God wants to adopt them into his family. Pray for them. Now, you may say, Pastor, but how can you pray for someone to be saved? Because they have to want to be saved. It's their choice. And I would say, yes, it is. And we can't manipulate people's will through prayer, but we can influence a lot of the circumstances around them. I want to give you some things to pray for as you pray for people who might come to know the Lord. Pray for this. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for God to arrange a meeting of that person When you've got kids that are off to college, pray that God will bring people into their lives who will speak into their lives the things of God. Sometimes God wants to use someone other than you. Pray that God would arrange for those divine appointments. Pray for open eyes and open hearts. The God of this age, the Bible says, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the truth of the gospel. They cannot see. Why? Because Satan's put this covering over. They can't see it. Pray that that would be removed. Pray that people would see with clarity what God has done for them, what what God wants them to know. Pray for their eyes to be open. Pray for unrest for unbelievers. Now, this may be an odd one, but I pray that for my kids. When our son didn't know the Lord, I said, God, make him very uncomfortable, make him very unhappy until he knows that he needs you in his life. I don't want people to be happy without Christ, really. Because they're going to miss out on heaven, the ultimate happiness. Because if people feel like, I've got it all together now, why do I need Jesus? I want them to realize something's missing. As good as their life is, I want them to have this achiness inside saying, you know, it feels like there's a part of me that's, that's not right. There, there, there's something wrong inside of me. There's like a missing piece of the puzzle. I want them to feel that unrest because that will drive them to look. And hopefully in looking, they'll find Jesus. And I want to pray for the opportunities and the words the opportunities and the words because sometimes god does want to use us and we want to pray god open up that window of opportunity and when that opportunity comes give me the words to speak i mean paul did that the great apostle paul did that listen to a a couple of, of things that he writes to the church in ephesus and then colossians pray also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel Then he says, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I mean, here's an apostle saying, hey, would you guys pray for me? I'll do a better job of this. Pray that God open up doors. Why is he praying it? Because some doors were closed. Can prayer open a door? Paul believed it could. I believe it can. We will never know the impact of Paul's prayers on evangelism. But I, I have a feeling that it was one of the most significant things he did. All these years he spent in prison that he couldn't go out and preach, he devoted a lot of that time to prayer. You will never know how powerful your prayers are in someone else's spiritual growth. Almost every story I hear about someone coming to the Lord, if you, if you go back behind the scenes and look at the backstory. you will find there was a mother, there was a father, there was a grandparent, there was a school teacher praying for, praying for you. And their prayers were answered when you came to know Jesus. 
So I just want to encourage you, don't give up praying for that son or daughter, that relative, that friend, that neighbor, that person that doesn't know Jesus. Don't give up praying for them. Sometimes some of the greatest things you can do is to get on your knees before the Lord and lift them up regularly. Commit yourself. I'm going to keep praying for them till the day I die or until they accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And even if they accept Jesus Christ, keep praying for their spiritual growth. I pray that for that for my kids all the time. We can make a difference in expanding God's family through prayer. And then here's the third thing that Paul says about, I believe, is a reason why he kneels. Because it opens us to experience God's fullness. As he starts to go through this prayer, listen to the items. And we'll talk about this next week. But he says things like this. He prays that they would be strengthened with power in their inner being. That Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. That they would comprehend the dimensions of God's love. That they would know the love of Jesus Christ and be filled to the fullness of God. If you think about those requests, they have one thing in common. They're all spiritual in nature. They all have to do with our spiritual growth. Not a single one is about our physical well-being. Now, what strikes me with that is how often when I look at our church prayer requests and I even look at my own requests, how often they are flooded with physical requests. God, help me to get over my illness. Help me with this surgery that's coming. Help us with our finances. Would you open up a job opportunity for me? Would you open up the right college for me? Would you help me get through this class or this challenge? You know, all these physical things. Not that these are unimportant. They are very important. We should pray about those things, but they shouldn't dominate our prayer lives. I think we need to spend a lot more time praying for the inner person, not only for ourselves, but for those that we pray for, for our children. We want them to get good grades. Awesome. Want them to succeed in sports. That's great. How about the character? How about the development of faith within them? How passionately do you pray for them for that? Paul's focus here is praying for what's going on inside of a person, the inner voice. See, we have voices in our life that will remind us of the physical things. Uh, if, if you're in pain, then you're reminded constantly, I got to pray for this. My fingers hurt, my back hurts. You know, there, there's a constant reminder. If you're going through financial issues, there's a constant reminder. The bills come in. It's reminding me I don't have the money. I need to be praying about it. So you get these constant reminders. You might have a spouse that says, honey, you're looking a little chubby right now. You, you, you've, you've grown a couple more chins. You need to maybe do something about that. You look in the mirror. The mirror speaks to you. The mirror says to you, by golly, do something about that body. I mean, the physical things call out to us all the time. You're going to start feeling it very surely. I'm hungry. So the physical body and the physical always cries out to us. But where is the voice that's saying, hey, what about me? The inside. Who's paying attention to the inner person? Who's paying attention to that. Very few voices in our lives point us to deal with the internal things. But here's the truth. When you become a Christian, God initiates a new kind of growth in you. It's like this, a new person is starting to grow inside of you. It is your, it is your spiritual self. And this spiritual self needs to grow. This inner person needs to grow. And it grows, in some ways, independent of your physical body. I know they affect one another, but in in large part, they grow independent. Because you can grow older physically and not mature spiritually. They don't necessarily go step in step. And so, internally, we've got to take care of what's inside because it grows. And here's the truth. Your body 
will grow older and will grow weaker and will eventually fail. Our bodies have an expiration date on them. And it doesn't matter how many, how many kale smoothies you drink, how many ab crunches you do, you're just pushing the date back maybe just a little bit more. But the date is coming when it will die. I'm not saying you will die. I said it will die. Why do I say that? Because you are not your body. You live in your body. Your body will die. You will continue to live. And that's why we've got to take care of what's inside. Why do we spend so many hours perfecting the hair, the makeup, the muscles, the body? I mean, we, we want to take care of this temple of the Holy Spirit. But, but many of us invest far more time into the physical than we do the spiritual. And yet it's the spiritual, the inner person that's going to live beyond the grave. And so Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, outwardly we're wasting away. In, in other words, you're getting old. You're getting flabby. You're getting weak. You're going to die. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, he says, we are being made new day by day. Meaning you can keep growing internally. It doesn't matter what, what, what age you are. I don't care if you're 80, 90 years old. Your body may say, I can't keep up with it. But internally, I am as sharp as I've ever been. I'm as spiritual alive as I've ever been. Because he wants us to invest in this spiritual part of us. When Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor. He said this, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. Verses 7 and 8. He says, train yourself to be, or for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Physical training has only value for this life. Spiritual training has value for this life and the life to come. So why do we spend so little time on spiritual training? Taking care of of what's inside. I just want to ask you, how much time do you pray about the inner person? God, develop my character. Help me to know you more. Help me to grow in love. Help me to experience you in greater and greater ways because God's goal for us is maturity. Just like every parent, you have a child in your family, you want that child to grow to maturity. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter six, verse one tells us, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. And go on to maturity. Here's the problem. Many of us feel like, I'm okay just being saved. I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. That's all I care about. Well, shame on you. You ought to care about a lot more than that. God says, I, I didn't save you to be an infant forever. I saved you to grow to maturity. That people would see me in you and praise me because of it. In fact, I was just told here in the foyer before this service that someone wants to be baptized because they've seen Christ in someone else in our church. They, they've, seen, they've seen such a transformation in this other person that says, I want what she has. That is powerful. We want Christ to grow in us to maturity. We'll talk about that next week. So that we can experience this fullness, fullness of God in us. That's what he's after. And you will not get there if you don't come before him in prayer. See, here's the truth. Praise God I'm not where I used to be. But dear God, I'm not where I should be. And you know, this is a big gap from where I used to be. It's a big chasm that I've crossed. But I wonder sometimes, how far does God want to take me? How grown up does he want me to be? I'm not near to the end of where God wants me, and you aren't either. So isn't that enough to drive you to pray? Isn't that enough reason to pray? I was uh, following Facebook yesterday of a lady in our church, and she's so distraught over her son. He's making some really bad choices. He's gotten around some friends, gotten into drugs. 
His full-ride scholarship, his promises of future are all starting to go up in smoke, literally. And she's desperate. And she said in her Facebook post, she goes, I've tried everything. She says, I've loved him, yelled at him, threatened him, and even tried to bribe him, but to no avail. So she says, I'm giving him over to the Lord and letting him face the consequences of his own actions. And then she said this, I am down to the one thing that I have been doing, and it's the only thing I have left. That is to pray for him. So I am handing my stress, my fears, my worries, my confusions and doubts over to Jesus. Then in all caps, Jesus, take the wheel. She has a reason to pray. And I honestly think you do too. 